if God wanted, he could make it so that the whole world knew that he was real, that he was alive, that he was in control. And the Bible tells us one day he will, but for now, he leaves room for doubt. Today on Ruta Daily, we ask why and if we should confront that doubt. Welcome to Rooted Daily, the podcast where we are rooting ourselves in the Bible so we can grow with God a little more every day. I'm Brandon Levy, and when God first called Moses in the book of Exodus, Moses was full of doubt. He was caught up in these hypothetical what-ifs. What if they don't remember me? What if they ask your name? What if they don't believe? It was excuse after excuse, and God answered each one. Trust me. Trust me, I am with you. Trust me, I am. Trust me, I will help you and I will make them believe for you. You just have to trust me. And after two chapters of back and forth, finally, Moses relents. Okay, God, I'll trust you. Aaron, the spokesperson you gave me, and I will go to Pharaoh and we will do what you say. And that's what they do. Exodus chapter four, uh, verses 27 through 31 says they went to the leaders of the Israelites and they told the whole story to them. They believed after Moses and Aaron performed the signs that God had prepared them with. And then in Exodus chapter five, they approach Pharaoh and they tell him, thus says the Lord God of Israel, let my people go that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. It's the story of faith triumphing over fear right? Moses, he'd been afraid to confront Pharaoh. He'd been afraid of returning to his people after 40 years. He'd been afraid of all of those what-if scenarios. But God said, trust me. And that's what Moses did. But then, after he went out on a limb, it must feel like the branch broke under Moses. Exodus 5.3 says, Then they said, the, the God of the Hebrews has met with us. Now let us take a three-day journey into the wilderness to offer sacrifices to the Lord our God, or he may strike us with plagues or with the sword. But the king of Egypt said, Moses and Aaron, why are you taking the people away from their labor? Get back to your work. And then Pharaoh said, Look, the people of the land are now numerous, and you are stopping them from working. The same day Pharaoh gave this order to the slave drivers and the overseers in charge of the people. You are no longer to supply the people with straw for making bricks. Let them go and gather their own straw, but require them to make the same number of bricks as before. Don't reduce the quota. They are lazy. That is why they are crying out, let us go and sacrifice to our God. Make the work harder for the people so that they keep working and pay no attention to lies. Pharaoh not only doesn't listen to Moses, does not listen to Moses' God, he doubles down. And God's people who are also going out on a limb, trusting Moses, this guy who came out of the wilderness after killing a man and running away for 40 years, saying that now he's talked to God in a bush, they trusted him. They were going out on a limb, but now the branch is breaking under them too. What he said isn't happening. They say in verse 20, when they left Pharaoh, they found Moses and Aaron waiting to meet them. And they said, may the Lord look on you and judge you. You have made us obnoxious to Pharaoh and his officials and have put a sword in their hand to kill us. And so with that, Moses returns to the Lord and says, why, Lord? 
why, why have you brought trouble on this people? Is this why you sent me? Ever since I went to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has brought trouble on this people and you have not rescued your people at all. Why have you sent me, God? I trusted you. And look how that turned out. Now, before, when Moses doubted, uh, like when he told the Lord to send someone else, his last objection in that list of excuses, God's anger was kindled against Moses. But this time, God doesn't get angry. He doesn't criticize. He doesn't rebuke. He doesn't scold Moses and his disbelief this time. No, the way Exodus chapter 6 starts off, it's almost like God has a little smile on his face this time. When, when Moses says to him, uh, why did you send me? He responds, now you will see. Now you will see what I will do to Pharaoh because of my mighty hand, he will let them go. Because of my mighty hand, he will drive them out of his country. Now that, now that it's gotten as bad as it can get, Moses, and you don't think anything can really change, now, Moses, you will see. You know, Moses thought that the hope for his people's freedom had been squashed. But God said, no, 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 we're just getting started. And in fact, I'm even going to use your doubt, Moses, to make sure that you see this was always my plan. Moses' doubt this time was going to be useful. So notice, not all states of doubt are created equally, largely because doubt doesn't always say the same thing. It doesn't always speak to the same motivations. Even in scripture, doubt is not always rebuked. Sometimes doubt is what precedes victory, like it does here in the Exodus. Take, for example, another book, the book of Job. It is all about doubt, right? God allowed Satan to test Job. His sons and his daughters were killed in a tornado-like storm. Most of his servants, his livestock, were killed by robbers. Job himself was in tremendous pain with sores all over his body. Even Job's wife suggested he just give up his integrity. He curse God and then he die in chapter 2, verse 9. But Job refused to sin. And that's all well and good. That, that's the, the nice part of the story. But what about the middle parts of the book? You know, we don't read those as often because they don't seem to follow the same theme. If Job trusted God, why does he pose these heart-wrenching questions about his suffering, even blaming God for it? Uh, he seemed to gain momentum as he, he went. He wishes he died in childbirth. Then he requests that God would kill him. He blames God for his suffering, saying that God was watching him, just waiting for him to make a mistake. And then he demanded that God just leave him alone, that he, he stopped trying to frighten him. He even asserted his right to complain and challenged God to a debate. Uh, that, in my mind, that's about as doubtful as it comes. And yet somehow, these accusations against the God of our universe were allowed to stand. Although... Uh, Job had sinned, according to chapter 34, verse 37. He also repented, and God honored his response. He blessed him with far more than he had before. Now, we never learn exactly why Job suffered, but we do see that doubt not only was allowed to stand, but it was useful. And of course, Job isn't the only doubter in the Bible. Far from it. All the greats doubted at some point. And not just occasional fleeting thoughts. You'll read the Psalms. Several Psalms are you know, full of doubt, accusing God of allowing the wicked to enjoy life. Like uh, Psalm 74, 1, while the righteousness of the godly goes, um, 
uh, without any benefit. It said that God defended and showed favoritism towards the wicked in Psalm 82, where they say that God is silent. David complains that his uh, prayers went unanswered in Psalm 35. And Psalm 44, in the strongest language um, you can imagine, it rebukes God for not keeping his promises to Israel. The writer blames the God of the universe with sleeping on the job in verse 23 of that Psalm. And yet, despite those frankly blasphemous accusations, the Holy Spirit allows them to be pinned in scripture. How about the New Testament? Uh, while John the Baptist was in prison, he sent two of his disciples to Jesus. And John had a question or two. Was Jesus the Messiah or should John be looking for someone else? You know, on the surface at least, wouldn't that seem like an unnerving question to ask the Son of God? Are, are you the true Messiah? If you aren't, we'll go follow another guy over there. It, it's not just the question itself that's so staggering. If it came from someone, anyone in the crowd, uh, it'd probably be dismissed by most of us as being someone who just lacked faith. What turns it into such a bombshell is because it comes from John the Baptist, God's chosen forerunner for Jesus, predicted in the Old Testament. You know, was John doubting? Was John in danger of throwing his faith overboard? Did he not believe that this was the Son of God? But look at how Jesus responds. Jesus, immediately, he doesn't rebuke him. He doesn't tell John, go live up to your reputation. He doesn't quote verses to his messengers reminding them of John's special position as the chosen herald of the Lord's coming. Rather, he heals people right in front of these two messengers, and then he instructs them, go tell John what they witnessed. Jesus thought there was relevance between the healing miracles and John's faith. That's, I think, a lesson in itself. But the story doesn't stop there. Uh, as the two messengers left, Jesus addresses the crowd, and he's talking about John. He asks them if when they went to see John in the wilderness, had they seen someone who was easily shaken by the wind? Sounds a lot like what James talks about in chapter 1, verses 6 through 8. Or did they see this weakling and soft, comfortable clothing? Of course not. Then Jesus told his listeners, John was not only a prophet, but John proclaimed that no greater man had ever been born. You know, what makes this conversation so staggering, so incredible, is John hadn't received Jesus' message yet. John is still doubting. So Jesus was complimenting John while he was still in doubt. Again, doubt is not only not rebuked, sometimes it's useful to God. Of course, we also have the example of Thomas who doubted the resurrection and his doubt is evidence for us today that Jesus is in fact alive because that doubt resolved itself. So why is some doubt useful and some doubt condemned? Well, first, we know that not all doubt is the same. Some doubt is rebuked as in the case of Job and Thomas. Um, they, it was corrected and God honored repentance as with Job. But not all doubt is reprimanded and not all questions are deemed to be sinful. You know, neither does doubt keep a person from being complimented for his righteousness like John the Baptist. Many times in scripture, doubt is simply expressed without any remedy being provided. You know, what about 
especially strong expressions of doubt that are uncensored, like Psalm 44. It seems that the Holy Spirit allows the honest expression of feelings by true believers even when they aren't true, even when they're not appropriate. But that's not to say we should go and, and say the same things that they said in Psalm 44. Uh, there's a difference, I think, between honest, unpremeditated questions and this constant preoccupation with statements that, that undermine God's character. There, there's differences in that doubt, but it seems like honest, genuine doubt is allowed to be expressed. And the other thing we see is that believers like Job and Abraham and Paul, they grew during their times of doubt. Even when their faith underwent the harshest attacks, they learned that God could be trusted even when they couldn't figure everything out. They discovered that they already knew enough about God to have confidence in him in those things they didn't know, they didn't understand yet. A modern example, C.S. Lewis, he uh, was an ardent atheist during his early teaching at Oxford University. When he wrote uh, Mere Christianity, he confessed that he sometimes experienced doubts about his faith even after he became a Christian. But he added, and the days when he was an atheist, he had doubts then too. He had doubts that maybe the Christian faith appeared to be terribly probable. You know, no matter what you believe, Lewis says, you will doubt at some point. The more important matter is how will you deal with the doubt when it comes? Sure, Christians can certainly have some rough times. God has certainly not promised us anything different. Yet, how would it be to walk a mile in an atheist's shoes? How would you like to be an unbeliever and secretly fear that Christianity may in fact be true? How long would it take you to move from that thought to the petrifying realization that hell might just await you? That's what C.S. Lewis wrote. You know, scripture, it plainly reveals the presence of doubt in the lives of believers, unbelievers alike. People doubt for a very basic reason. All of us are human beings. We don't know everything and we're sinful, but that doesn't mean all questions are sinful. In fact, God ensures room for doubt because sometimes doubt serves his purposes. So when Moses turned to God and asked him, Lord, why have you brought trouble on this people? Why is it that you sent me? God just smiles and he says, now you shall see. And then God renewed his promise. Exodus chapter 6 um, verses 2 through 8 says, God also said to Moses, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty, but by my name, the Lord, I did not make myself fully known to them. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, where they resided as foreigners. Moreover, I have heard the groaning of the Israelites, whom the Egyptians are enslaving, and I have remembered my covenant. Therefore, Say to the Israelites, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will free you from being slaves to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. I will take you as my own people, and I will be your God. And then you will know that I am the Lord your God, who brought you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. And I will bring you to the land I swore with uplifted hand to give to Abraham to Isaac and to Jacob, and I will give it to you as a possession. I am the Lord. You know, sometimes 
Doubt doesn't come to destroy us. Sometimes God leaves room for doubt as his way of saying to us, now you shall see. And that'll do it for this episode of Rooted Daily. I cannot wait to sit down and open up God's word with you next time. Thank you for watching this episode of Rooted Daily. We're praying that you're growing with us as we study the Bible and use God's word as our only foundation. If you appreciate this content and want to make sure others see it, subscribe to the podcast on your favorite app and hit the share button. Most importantly, if you're ready to take the next step, repent, be baptized, and hand over your life to Jesus, let's talk today. Just send me a text to 317-207-2734.